Podcast episode 290. I'm your host, John X. Thank you for joining us. Glad to have you back once again. And on this week's show, and one of the things I love about having done this show for seven years is now guests come to me. People with interesting stories, interesting projects, great work, they come to me. It's phenomenal. I love being on the other side of pitching because, as part of my day job, I'm frequently pitching stories to local media outlets. I am a local media outlet, and I've been around for long enough now to where they start coming to me. That's the case with this week's show. I've got on here both Parker McMullen Bushman and Crystal Egley, and they are the co-founders of Inclusive Journeys. Now, the mission of Inclusive Journeys is to create data-driven economic incentives for businesses to be more inclusive and welcoming, resulting in safer spaces for people of marginalized identities. As I point out in this week's episode... I am a white, straight, cisgendered American man, which means this world is pretty much built exactly for me. That puts me in a position of privilege, and it's up to me how I use that privilege. Where can I raise up voices? How can I help tell stories that don't always get told? And so Crystal and Parker reached out to me through their team. By the way, thank you, Kit. Terrific email. And they're talking about the Inclusive Guide. Now, the Inclusive Guide is a digital green book that allows users to rate businesses based on how inclusive they are. And one of the things that struck me over the course of this conversation is when they're pitching this idea to potential investors, a lot of the feedback they'll get is, hey, this seems like it already exists. This seems like there should be data out there. There's not. And they'll tell you there's not. This is kind of first of its kind. And I don't want to step on the episode too much because they get into the whys of that. They also share some anecdotes of their own experience. And we talk about the journey, and they speak very candidly with me about their experiences as two women of color. I'm thrilled to be able to bring this episode to you. I love that I have a platform where I can share stories like this, where I can share projects like this, where I can point you to people doing really cool work. And this is very cool work. Now, normally this is the part where I'll plug some stuff that I'm working on or one of my businesses or my social media channels or whatever. That'll all come at the end of the episode. What I'm asking you to do right now is go to inclusivejourneys.com slash beta and sign up for their beta launch. They're looking for folks of all types of identities. And yes, that includes straight white American dudes like me. Perhaps it's black women like them. Perhaps you're gender non-binary. No matter who you are, sign up, get on board here. You can help shape this platform that I think will be doing good work in helping us all be better and helping us learn, and helping us grow, and helping us evolve this culture in a direction that we all say we want it to go. Here's a tangible way of doing that. So go to inclusivejourneys.com slash beta, sign up, and then starting on Juneteenth, you can start rating businesses. Really, really exciting. The link to that is in the show notes. So if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, on Stitcher, on Spotify, on iHeartRadio, wherever it is, click that link, get signed up. Now, That's all I'm going to plug because I don't want to step on anything else. I want to get to this week's episode because both Crystal and Parker are incredible forces of nature. I had a great time talking to them. I cannot wait to see where this platform goes for them, and I'm going to do what I can to help them. So let's start by listening to this week's episode. It's episode 290 of the John of All Trades podcast featuring Crystal Egley and Parker McMullen Bushman. 
And it starts right now. I am so excited because we are launching our beta version in the Denver area on Juneteenth, which is June 19th. And that day is of great significance to us because that's the uh, day that the final enslaved folks were informed that they were no longer enslaved. Um, so it has a lot of symbology to us. Um, we are so stoked to be able to, you know, have that date coming up and line up with us. We do want to make sure everyone knows that the platform is not just for black folks, right? Sure. Um, but for us as black women, that date has a lot of significance to us. And so we're looking for 5,000 people to sign up for our beta launch version in the Denver area by that time so that we can start going strong. And once we get the data collected and uh, we start moving along, our web team's going to be able to uh, start adjusting, making the algorithms that define those scores. And I'm like, so excited, (laughs) so excited. So pulling all of that together has made us really busy. You know, when you're trying to launch a, a web platform, there's so many things that go into it besides just the building of the web platform. You have to figure out, you know, your marketing and how you're connecting with community and public. How are people even going to know that you're out there? Our platform really relies on uh, folks coming and using it. Like that's the way that it works. And so we've been working on how do we create that really robust uh, launch. So a lot of our time has been, like I said, meeting with marketing people, figuring out that earned and uh, paid media, figuring out all of the pieces of the web platform, right? Because we have our own ideas, but we're also looking to meet with and are meeting with others in our community, um, others that are people who face discrimination to get their input on what are the things that we really want to see put that would be useful to us in, in a platform like this. Um, And then also there's like fundraising because that apparently like money just doesn't appear. Uh, And so we have to like, we're trying to get out there, beat the streets, like talk to people, let folks know what we're doing and seeing, you know, who uh, will be willing to back this amazing dream of ours. And one of the other things I want to add too is, so as entrepreneurs, which is kind of a cliche word, but I'm going to, I'm going to start owning it. Um, you know, I went to art school. You should, and yes. so, yeah, when I had to start doing accounting and start getting folks on payroll and stuff like that, I had to learn all of that really quickly. So like, there's a lot of studying that honestly went involved when we started writing grant applications. I had to learn how to write grants. I'd never done that before. So there's a lot of reaching out to volunteers and people have just come out of the woodwork to help support us like that. That's awesome. But it's still time consuming to just be like accounting. I've literally never done that in my life. But then I have friends who are accountants who are just so patient and walk me through it. But that's also very time consuming as well. Well, learning it on the fly is is so tough. And I mean, as as a fellow entrepreneur, I found out very quickly what I don't know. 
And so, and it turns out that's a lot. Like you have your lane and you go, okay, this is my business. No, your business isn't just that. It's this plus a whole bunch of other stuff too. And Mm -hmm. that's what I hear you articulating. Parker, I think I was cutting you off. I was just going to say, and like we work multiple jobs. (laughs) So we're both consultants, um, you know, because until you get that, that kind of payout from your dream, like you've got to keep the ship afloat. And so figuring out how uh, to do that while um, doing other things uh, is, is been, has kept us and kept me especially really busy. Yeah. And there's only so many hours in the day. So who you're listening to right now is Crystal Egley and Parker McMullen Bushman. And you are the co-founders of Inclusive Journeys. And what we're talking about is a launch of the Inclusive Guide. And so this was, I was reached out to by a member of your team. And when I read about it, I go, this sounds cool. Yeah, I definitely got to hype this up. Like this is something where I feel like I can use my platform and my position of privilege to help elevate voices that might not get elevated otherwise. So I was thrilled to talk to you. This is the first time we've ever met. And it was so funny. We jumped on and you're both just energy through the Zoom meeting. And I go, yes, okay, this thing is going to sing. This thing is going to fly. Why don't you tell me a little bit about it? Because we've heard how you're kind of where you are in the launch, but we haven't talked about exactly what it is. So give me the elevator pitch. Oh, I got this one. Okay, go for it, Crystal. Can you tell I'm excited? Every day we get closer to the launch, I just am getting more and more excited. Everyone's just going to have to like experience this energy burst out of my body. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, we're building a new digital green book with a kind of a twist. There's um, some other folks out there who are doing great work as well, trying to construct um, digital versions of the green book. I'm going to talk about what that actually is for the folks who haven't heard of that before, but we're also, we have a green book and right. So the original green book was published between 1936 and 67. And it was a printed guide. They didn't have, you know, Twitter, the grammar, <laughs> like that back then. But I'm sure uh, Victor H. Green, who came up with the Green Book, would have absolutely done that. Um, sounds like a decent fella. Um, but he basically got black motorists as they as they started being able to afford travel for luxury, um, started being able to afford vehicles, starting to be able to um, afford, honestly, a vacation. And uh, up until then, black travel, black solo travel was illegal in, in right. many parts. Some folks, you know, had to do things like put a chauffeur's cap on the dashboard to make it seem like that car wasn't theirs um, because they were afraid, like, honestly, people wouldn't believe that they could afford the car. Um, they Men would have their wives uh, in the back seat and say that they were also their, um, you know, employer's nanny and they were chauffeuring the nanny, but they're really just trying to go like camping. Right. right. And so they'd have to do all these things. And so there were really dangerous parts of the country where you could legit just be murdered without consequence, beaten up without consequence, made to feel uncomfortable. Um, and anything in that range, when you were traveling. And so it was very important to know where those safe spots were as black motorists started um, striking out on these trips. So Victor H. Green was a postal worker who lived in uh, Harlem, New York. 
And people started sending him postcards saying, like, you know, Crystal's Donut Shop, great place to stop for breakfast. Parker's Patisserie, man, you know, like, I don't know, I'm just trying to civilization. John's Hotel on this road, um, they'll totally accept you, you'll be safe there. And so there, Parker's father actually remembers using the green book um, when traveling. This isn't something that was like a nice to have. Um, It was like you had to carry it with you and follow it to make sure you stayed safe. One of the most interesting things I learned early on during my research. Uh, So where do you think, John, that you, you would see people using the green book the most? Like what part of the country do you think? Boy, uh, I don't know. And man, tough one to speculate because it, mm-hmm. based on what I know, and I just, as, as I was listening to you talk, we have a book upstairs called Rebel Girls, Good Night Stories for Rebel Girls. And mm-hmm. I, I think about uh, like Nina Simone performing in mm-hmm. New York. Her parents had to sit in the back until she basically refused and said, no, they get to sit in the front. And, you know, I think about people like Sammy Davis Jr. traveling with the Rat Pack, and they basically had to escort him wherever mm-hmm. he went. So I'm hesitant to put a place in the country where it would be most used because it seems like it could be anywhere. Yeah. So my assumption was that it would be mostly used in the South, right? That we was my first that. guess. So. Mm, but basically you probably knew it was a trick question, right? I, <laughs> so. I felt it coming. I wasn't sure. So in the South, in the deep South, there were signs that said colored only, lights only. Oh, right. But actually in the North and the West of the U.S., there weren't those signs. But there's people everywhere who discriminate and cause fear and harm others because of their identity. So it was actually mostly needed in the North and traveling West because everything was so clearly labeled in the South. Uh, meanwhile, it was the unknown places. It's that fear of the unknown. Maybe a place is going to be super amazing and awesome and welcoming. Yeah. But honestly, maybe you'd be thrown off a roof in a sundown town. Uh, yeah. And so that is the unknown is what the scary thing is, is not knowing. And so that is one of the things that we are working towards recreating in a digital format. And for anyone who faces discrimination or poor treatment based on their identity, while doing anything from traveling to just living their lives, we want to make sure that we can make it known. Like, these are safe spaces if you are Black. These are safe spaces if you are trans. These are safe spaces if you are um, woman, you know, and anything of, of the above, uh, especially Asian folks right now, people of Asian yeah. descent. You know? I have friends who are saying they're going to their regular spots, and right now they're getting turned away or they're getting served last. Like, these are things we need to know. And that fear that I have had while out, especially when hunting, because do I look like I hunt? Not really. Um, so that unknown is what I, I'm worried about, not the known. Sure. Uh, I, I think that makes excellent sense because the I, I remember a Dave Chappelle bit from years ago where he talked about going to the South. It's just much more open in terms of people's even just hostility towards you. But at least, you know, at that point. As opposed to, as you said, you wander into a place and all of a sudden it's a trap, right? Or you're getting something that maybe you didn't expect with these people with these nice smiling facades all of a sudden ready to just, you know, stick a knife in you. Yeah. Uh, And, you know, it's it's not always that 
that dramatic, but even the, the little things, right? Like I walked, um, I went to go get my cell phone screen repaired a couple of weeks ago. And when I returned to pick up the phone, it was three people in the store, myself, um, an older white gentleman and a younger white guy behind the counter. And the older white gentleman was picking up his watch, very expensive looking watch. The gentleman behind the counter uh, handed him the watch. He inspected it. Uh, he gave it back. The guy put it down on the counter and then said, oh, I need to grab one more thing from the back. Went to go grab it, came back, rang the guy up. The guy paid. He left. I walked up and I asked to inspect. He was like, told me the price. I asked to inspect my phone just so I could see, like, you just replaced the screen. Let me make sure the screen turns on. He said, oh, I can't, I can't let you hold your phone. I can't hand you your phone. And I said, why? And he said, well, we've had people walk out without paying before. And so you're going to need to pay and then you can look at your phone and I'll tell you what, I'll give you a refund if it isn't what you expect when you get it. Right. So a clear difference in the way I was treated in that situation. And what the, the inclusive guide is going to do is give people the ability to rank spaces on whether or not they feel safe, if they feel welcome, and if they feel celebrated in regards to their identity. So people can give uh, a score to the store, or, you know, about their visit, and maybe they had a really great visit. It's all, it's not all about negativity, right? We want to be able to identify the safe and inclusive spaces. And so people can rank that, and then others can see what are the spaces that, you know, others are having uh, success in or having good visits, right? And it's not just about people who face discrimination. It's also for allies. John, if you were to walk into uh, that store, you may never know that when I go in that I receive different treatment. And so we also want to create a space where allies can go and say, I want to support businesses that are inclusive. And our goal really is to shift the way that we think about inclusion, to move it from a nice to have to a have to have, because we're shifting the way that people shop and spend their money, right? With places that are inclusive. And suddenly businesses can see that uh, monetary value to being inclusive, to training their staff, to saying, you know, where it's not going to be good enough for us to just allow everyone to operate on their own, but we're really going to create an inclusive work ethic to the service that we give to the public. That, that makes sense. What you were describing was, you're right, not life or death, the situation that you faced, Parker, but that'll ruin your day. Like, I mean, that, that's a, that's a very sort of subtle thing that, that will make you feel like less than, right? Or. Exactly. Right. And so you, you want to raise up the places that really don't reward that behavior or even execute that kind of behavior. And I hear you saying that. And so what's been interesting to me and one of the reasons I wanted to talk to you is because, look, I know I am a white, straight, cisgendered, able-bodied American man here. And so I basically have the keys to the stadium at all times. And so how do I use that to do some good, you know, like, because that's a position of privilege. And what what I hear you articulating is there's a space for allies 
to where you can do that. Um, I'm curious about how important the role of allies is in a project like this. Yeah, so let's take that example from that store Parker went to. So if Parker had, you know, asked for a manager, which some folks get to do and others don't, right. um, the employee could easily say, well, I shouldn't have let that first guy look at his watch. That was the mistake there, right? He could have easily explained it away. Right, if, um, if, if, if that is in uh, fact the policy. Right. So let's say that was the policy. Probably not is my guess, because based on our experiences, we know statistically that's not very likely. Right. Right. But when we tell these stories and use these anecdotes and examples and we share our trauma like this, it's easy to say like, oh, well, maybe he just did the wrong thing for the other person. And people just kind of defend the other like, you know, maybe it was the wrong thing in general. And then he corrected it himself for you. But if that gentleman before Parker had rated on inclusive journeys and said, this is great, no problems, this is what happened, and then Parker rated it, um, and then a hundred other white folks and a hundred other black women rated it, now you could see if there really is a pattern. Oh, sure, yeah. And this is why we need folks like you to establish these baselines, because sometimes maybe it's just poor customer service all around. Um, I used this example of staying in a hotel the other month. Um, I was like on a little momcation by myself, right? Nice. And I needed to get away for a few days. And I went down to the front desk and um, asked if there was anywhere I could get coffee. And the response was, are you staying in this hotel? Uh, and so that, like, if I had complained about that, they could say, like, what do you mean? We ask everyone that. But there's a difference between... What room are you staying in? That's a question that assumes I belong versus right. are you staying here? And statistically, I know anytime I stay in any hotel above a La Quinta in quality, I get asked that question at the front desk. But I ask white folks and they're like, I literally have never been questioned in that specific phrasing. So I know from my experience that that is probably from unconscious bias, but I can't prove that. I, if I asked for the manager and said, they asked if I was staying here, they'd be like, okay. Like that's not <laughs> right. something that's worth. Like, like it, it seems little, but it happens over and over and over and over again. And I know it's a thing, but I can't prove it. And sometimes it gets escalated. Like those are the things that hit the news, right? Like we had um, last year, the black mom who got, who was using the pool with her kids at a hotel. You know, hotel. Yeah. And they didn't believe that she was staying there and they called the police, right? And so those situations can get escalated up. And then that's kind of when we hear about it. Oh, you know, they, they called the police. It was wrong. But we directed again at that one person in that one situation doing the wrong thing. Right. right. And so we're really looking to create this database of knowledge and of understanding of how people are treated within our society. And again, back to that supporting the places that are doing the good work, right, that are really trying. And then also another part that we haven't talked about is we want to provide resources for organizations that want to change because maybe 
you didn't realize, like, you know, I get asked, I do uh, DEI trainings, diversity, equity, inclusion trainings a lot. And people are always asking, what, what is the data behind this? Right. And so right. I'm excited to be able to provide that data and for organizations to be able to see, oh, wait a second. We thought we were really inclusive. Now we see that 50% of um, women that come into our space uh, don't feel safe or celebrated. And they're saying it's because of maybe we've got artwork in the bathroom that we thought was, you know, kitschy and women are saying it's degrading to women. Maybe there's a guy at the deli counter that hits on every woman that comes in. But now we have data that shows us, oh, maybe we aren't as inclusive as we thought. And so with our organization, we want to provide that information and provide resources for organizations that want to change. So trainings, other resources, so they can look to make a a real change in how they operate. Right. And I I think that makes good sense. Um, Crystal, the, the point that you brought up, it's easy to take these things out of context one at a time. Mm-hmm. And just write it off as, hey, you know what? This is a bad actor. This is not a systemic problem. This was just a misfire, someone's personal kind of accident, right? Yeah. What you're getting at is if you can collect these data points, patterns start to emerge, and then you can institute change writ large and adjust the, hege- the hegemony of the culture. Um, yes. is, is that kind of what we're getting at? A hundred percent, yes. Um, so maybe... One out of a hundred hotels I've stayed in really does ask everyone, um, you know, are you a guest here when they go to ask for coffee, right? right. Maybe they just didn't train that one employee the, the best way. But I'm telling you from my heart, 99 of them have some sort of unconscious or conscious bias. Sure. I have conscious and unconscious biases that I'm probably acting differently um, towards different people about, especially if it's unconscious. And I certainly would want to know if something I thought was just general crystal being cool was not actually making someone feel safe sure, around me. Yeah. And I would want that opportunity to be able to to make that adjustment, you know. And so that's one of the things that we really want to focus on. Um, so, yeah, if you raided that same hotel and you were like, I went to ask for coffee and it was really weird. They asked if I was a guest here. Great. Then, you know what? That's another data point that's like, well, maybe you just need to work on your general customer service and how you talk to people. But folks don't generally love asking if they really belong in wherever they're just hanging out. Um, And what Parker said, no one's collecting the data before these things turn into a hate crime. Sure. Like, that's one of the things that, honestly, when we've gone to um, venture capitalists, and in potential investors is they're convinced someone out there already has the data that we're not tapping into. And we're like, nope. Yeah. And they're like, but seriously, someone has to have this data, like the NAACP or someone has to have data on this. No one has this data. No. Well, I mean, there's, <laughs> there's not a mechanism for it to necessarily be collected in a clean way. Yeah. I, I, I think. Yeah. And that's what we're here to do. And we want to use this data that we collect in ethical and responsible ways to change policies, change systems. And we're not just going to, so basically on our, our platform, um, John, if your restaurant got a lower score, we're not necessarily going to be like, 
John is the worst. Uh, we want to celebrate people who are doing great and are really amazing and then provide resources to people who want them to do better. If folks don't want to, that's a different story. That's on them. Free country. That's sure. great. But honestly, we're pretty convinced that the economics are going to play out. Parker, can you talk about the seafood label type thing and how people choose? I feel like I'm not going to do it justice. <laughs> well, you know, like I said earlier, it's about shifting the economy, right? And right now, people want to shop in a way that reflects their values. And so we have things like safe seafood guide, right? Seafood that's caught sustainably and mm -hmm. people will keep that thing in their wallet. And when they go out, they will order based on that, right? And so we wanna give people another opportunity to be able to shop um, and show their values and how they spend their money. We've had this big national conversation around uh, inclusion, around equity, around the fact that we have to do better as a nation around these this conversation. And so this is an actionable item. Like people are like, what can we do to break down systems? There needs to be a consequence to how the systems are set up. And we need to see a clear direction for where we can go toward a better way of being. Sure. And we're hoping that this will provide that. Yeah, I, I think that's a point well taken. The incentive part, I think is interesting. You're right. People want to shop their values. And uh, anytime you can get a reflection of that. And I, I think most businesses also are interested, if it's pointed out to you, it can be uncomfortable. It's like, hey, the way you did this or the way you interacted with your customers made me feel this way, and I didn't like that. Most people will take that feedback and be like, I'm sorry, that was unintentional. Now, if they don't, that is certainly a choice, not a good choice, as you pointed out, Crystal, but it is a choice, and okay, you're planting your flag in the value sand in a very unusual way, but most people... If they get something in the feedback loop, they go, oh, okay, I didn't know that. Um, and even just giving sort of a, a non-charged response here, um, what I would say is I recently called a mechanic in my area and asked them for an estimate on some work on my car. No one got back to me. I called twice. And then eventually I went to another mechanic, got the work done really fast. I called the first mechanic and I said, hey... You guys must not really want my business because your team is not responding to my calls. And so, like, most people aren't going to do that. They're not going to take the time and call up the other one and say, hey, here's where you guys misfired. But if there was something online where they could see that, I think they might take notice of it even a little bit more, especially in terms of something like this. Yeah, I mean, that's the whole point of right. some other user review platforms. When I go on to Yelp, for example, to look at a restaurant, I honestly, like, people are more likely to submit a review for a bad experience oh, yeah. than a good or a neutral one, right? So I honestly take those reviews with a grain of salt. What I look for is how the restaurant responded mm. to those reviews. If they're like... Hey, like, buddy, like, you know, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, eh, I don't want to go there. If I have a problem, it's not going to be great. Sure. But if they're like, we are so sorry. We looked up your ticket time. We addressed this with the server. And here's, um, you know, a free entree on us. If you do want to come back next right. time, that's what I look for in a restaurant review. But right now, none of the review platforms allow space for a review based on your experience in relation to your identity. Certainly. If you go in and you're like, 
uh, server called me the N word, mm-hmm. they shut those down. They make it so they're like, if you go on Yelp, there's like a thing that's like, it shuts it off. It's like, this is under review for investigation. I bet they have like this robust investigation team that's just really on the side of the victim there. Um, that's going to just go in and make sure all the facts are verified. Tape is reviewed, right? No. Sure. Um, so how often are those really, let's say, a charged review, an identity-based, especially race-based review? Right. How often are trans folks taken seriously as opposed to, you know, well, that's your choice. Um, You chose to like go into that restaurant, look in, you know, like like how often are people just believed as much as if we complained about cold soup, right? Right. So we complain about cold soup and all of a sudden everyone's like, don't go there. Their soup is cold. Like that's really subjective too. And it's much less impactful on the rest of my life. And yet those are the ones that um, are elevated to the top posts. Um, But we go in and say something that's in relation to our identity and we're just questioned. We're just questioned and disbelieved. And it's like, oh, bad day for that person. It's about everyone but us. And so Inclusive Guide is going to be a platform where we hear people. We believe them. You are a priority. You know, you are the ones we take seriously. And folks often ask us, like, what if someone writes a fake review? And we're like, people write fake reviews all the time, like <laughs> for other places. It's a like, thing. It's a thing that exists in all flavors. Like literally every system has people trying to cheat it, like everything. But suddenly when we try to, no one's like questioning Yelp and is in like a, you know, outrage over possibly like fake super reviews, you know? Right. And but we try to make a platform to help protect us and keep us safe, like physically and emotionally. And suddenly everyone's coming up with the reasons why it's not going to be valid, you know? And we're like, great. So your sandwich was flat and that's, that's legitimate. And we need to talk about that for a while. But like the fact that I get served last yeah. every single time I go to a restaurant, like, You don't want me to talk about that and you're worried about like integrity all of a sudden. Great. (laughs) Well, I I think it's because in a lot of ways we have made whiteness kind of invisible in American Mm -hmm. culture and whiteness becomes the measuring stick by which everything else is measured against. So if, if you happen to be white, then you view that experience as normal and anything other than that, it's like this couldn't have happened because this never happens to me. And so what I'm curious about is you have to be fighting against a tide here. Like, I mean, this is cultural change that you're trying to institute. How do you overcome that? And how do you, how do you overcome arguments about things like uh, one of the favorite terms of a certain subset of political ideology is virtue signaling? Mm. And how do you overcome conversations like that? You know... Uh, Well, you're right about the way that uh, whiteness is formed within our society. It literally is the air that we breathe and we're all we're all in it. I, you know, often talk about 
how when I was a little kid and I would go with my grandmother to buy pantyhose from the grocery store, Mm -hmm. the color that was nude was the skin tone of white skin. Right. Right. Back in those days, band-aids, uh, crayons. Flesh colored crayons. I was thinking of that. Yep. Flesh colored crayons, right. Yeah. Uh, were white skin color. And that's because whiteness is considered the default, which all other things are kind of judged against. Right. And we don't, we don't think about it be a lot, uh, because you're swimming in that soup. And especially if you, you see yourself reflected, then there's no reason to think about it. And so I think one of the ways that I deal with those type of conversations and people who have not yet come to that realization and that understanding that, you know, um, when we talk about privilege, the privilege of having yourself represented, and this can be in all sorts of things, right? We can see it easier when we talk about able-bodied privilege, right? Sure. And the fact God, that's that another it, big one. Yeah. It's another huge one, right? And you think about uh, buildings that were built before the ADA was enacted, right? Um, built by people who were able-bodied, for people who were able-bodied, not thinking about folks who, you know, people who might be wheelchair users or have other accessibility needs. So it's kind of easier for people to see that, oh, I might have a privilege there. Um, When you talk about white privilege, uh, I think it gets a lot of hackles up. But we just need to understand that we all occupy these spaces of privilege and of not having privilege, right? So you know, you might say, oh, I am, you know, white, male, cisgender, but maybe I, and I have privilege in those areas, but maybe I don't have privilege, socioeconomic privilege or other type of privilege. And both of those things can be true. And when we start to talk about that and help people to understand that, when we start to talk about the fact that like dissecting privilege is about affording those privileges to everyone, right? It's not about making you John wear brown band-aids now, right? That's not what it's about. It's about making sure that white people only have access to black people band-aids. Right. And only only black people hair hair products. Like only black hair products. You know, that, but that's not what it's about, right? right? It's about making sure that everyone is represented, everyone is reflected. And those are the conversations that we need to have so people start to understand. So there are people who just don't understand that, and they're starting to come to a realization with the conversations. But really, our app that we're our website that we're building is also made to address those folks that maybe don't even quite understand right but they can see we're providing the the data right this is a thing like this is a thing like you have not been swayed by anything else up until now but now people have a mechanism for spending their money and now you either choose to pay attention or, you know, maybe you don't. And maybe you are fine sufficing off of an economy that is just people who look a certain way, right? Or have a certain ability or whatever it is. But I think that will start to get people who maybe haven't understood the conversation before to see, oh, wait a second, 
like people of color when they go into this space like almost everybody has something to say about the way they're treated right where, where there's smoke there's fire in that regard and if, again, it's it's a value judgment. It's if you want to continue supporting that behavior, okay, that is a value judgment, not one I would make, but certainly one you can make. And it's up to you. Like people talk about cancel culture, right? right? And it's not cancel culture. It's accountability culture. And just in the same way that people had the ability uh, back in the day to boycott, we still boycott, on a smaller level, right? We are now connected and uh, social media and the internet makes us more connected than before. So these are just large-scale boycotts because we don't agree with something and finally have a mechanism for shifting what we're supporting. Well, right? and, and, and in a very, uh, Crystal, I'm going to, I'm going to come to you in just a second, but in a very positive way too. Yeah. I mean, th this is a way of highlighting and spotlighting businesses doing great work. I mean, it, exactly. it's, it's not necessarily about castigating all of the bad actors out there, although that is important, um, especially people who are egregious with it. But, Highlighting the businesses that say, hey, I feel really good here. Th these folks have exceptional customer service for everyone who walks through their door, no matter what color, what gender, what orientation they are. You know, they, they recognize uh, non-gender binary or gender non-binary. I may have transposed that unintentionally. But to your point, you can showcase that and you go, you know what? That's a cool place. That's what I want to support with my dollars. Crystal, sorry. Oh, I was just going to say, what is a boycott except a lot of people with shared values making the same decision? Right. Like, that's literally it. And so on our platform, we're not going to say boycott John's Juices. Uh, that sounds like a weird restaurant. Um, <laughs> John's Jamba Juice franchise. Sure. I got to stop with trying the alliteration. It's not working. Um, but anyway, moving forward. Um, it sure is fun, though. <laughs> Watching you try. It really is. I could stay here and try to keep going, but I'm going to move on. Um, it's more like look at the information, make your own decision. We're guessing large groups of people are going to make a similar decision. Right. Yeah. When it, presented with the information. But the language other folks use to describe it is cancel culture and boycotting, you know, and like really, you know, tearing down a, a business. And I'm like, honestly, like, how great is it we can communicate so quickly to keep each other safe and feeling good and feeling uh, like we can shop without getting murdered. Like that's right. it. Like it's not about like, Oh, we don't like them. It's not about them. Right. It's yes. Not about the love them. Of God. Like, wow. That's like a mind blowing concept. Like I don't want to go to John's restaurant. It's not about John. You know, right. like if you want to make some other decisions and try to grow and be better, inclusive journeys in our platform can provide you some ways to do that. And you can make that part about you. But the fact that I choosing not to go there as an individual user, that's about me, you know? Yeah. And, and if, if you're reading that, you can infer whatever you want from, from reading about your experience in that regard. Yeah. So, okay, you mentioned you're launching on June uh, Juneteenth, which I think is really cool. That is uh, coming up here pretty soon. Um, how are we feeling about it? How are we looking? And uh, what... Oh, remind us! <laughs> what? 
So is your audience more than 5,000 people? We would love to have every single person in the audience. Every single one of you Everybody's right up. So <laughs> this beta version, um, which will be launching on June 19th in the Denver area. And so anybody who, can we just plug right now? Real, like, can Go we ahead. do that? Yeah. Okay. So. Yeah. Usually, you you all have uh, black belts and segways. So. Oh, we're yeah. super good at this. Uh, <laughs> speaking of segways. <laughs> See? Yeah. So um, yeah, no. This uh, this is the time on the show when we do plugs. Do it now. Speaking of segways, allow me to roll on into uh, how to sign up to be in our beta launch. So we need five thousand folks. Whatever you identify with or as or of, um, if you are John, you better sign up on our website right after this. Okay. If I'll be there. Inclusivejourneys.com forward slash beta, B E T A. You could be part of the beta launch and be one of the 5,000 folks we're hoping, uh, that will be able to rate businesses starting on June 19th. Um, if y'all aren't signed up, you're not going to be able to be part of the beta launch and give us some feedback. You know, John, let's say you're using it and you're like, hey, um, I really wish it had this feature. You can let us know. Um, and we are going to, we, Parker and I have pretty similar identities. So if we're the only ones making decisions about what's on this platform, we're just going to make a platform that works really well for people of our general identity. That's something that Cis hetero white dudes have been doing for a long time. We're trying to be a little bit different. So we really need everyone's input, including cis hetero white dudes. John, looking at you. Um, and everybody's input, whether you use adaptive equipment, if you're part of the queer community, if you're a cis hetero white woman, if you are Muslim, uh, if you're of Asian descent, everybody can have a chance to give us feedback and input about what we end up putting in the uh, version that comes out wider than the Denver area after this beta version. That is super vital to us. Um, and, and we're hoping to help you. We're hoping, uh, like Crystal said, with that um, 5,000 people signing up, that between June 19th and uh, Labor Day, that we can get people to do 10 reviews. Okay. So that's that's the ask to be on our, our beta team, that you are in the Denver area and that you do 10 reviews to organizations within the Denver area. We are going to have, we're uh, signing up about 100 businesses that are going to be a part of that uh, launch too. And we're, you know, definitely going to encourage people to drop by uh, some of those businesses because the goal is to, at the end of this trial this run, this beta run to have some really good data. So we need kind of, you know, certain businesses on the app to have more than five reviews, right? Right. Uh, so we're also going to concentrate on some of those. So if you're a business owner or you work somewhere and you think that you'd like your business to honestly get some free publicity and people in your door this summer, um, which as the pandemic uh, hopefully subsides, we're hoping people will, will want to go out and be comfortable and actually safe going out. 
Um, follow all the rules, people. All right. Follow the rules. Uh, businesses can reach out to us. Uh, email us info at inclusivejourneys.com. Info at inclusivejourneys.com. Let us know you'd like to be one of those. And honestly, we're going to be sending people to those businesses to create like that density of review nice. um, in order to help us get the, the data that we need. So if you're if you think your business or wherever you work wants to be in on it, um, you can send us an email. But if you want to sign up to be an individual user, you can go to inclusivejourneys.com forward slash beta, B-E-T-A. And I will have a link to that in the companion blog piece that goes with this at johnofalltrades.us, as well as in the show notes if you're listening on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or anywhere you get your pods. That is going to be in the show notes. Crystal... Parker, Crystal, this was an enormous pleasure. I'm thrilled to get to highlight your work. Uh, I have signed up on your website as we were talking, and <laughs> I cannot wait yes. to see what you do. We will, you got uh, one. We, <laughs> we will check in no, with you. 999 to <laughs> and hey, happy to be number one. What can I say? Uh, and you know what? I wish you all continued success in everything that you do. Thank you for having me on. It's been a pleasure. And that'll do it for episode 290 of the John of All Trades podcast with Crystal Egley and Parker McMullen Bushman, a couple of very cool women doing great work that I'm proud to support. As they said, go to inclusivejourneys.com slash beta. You can find that link in the show notes, iTunes, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Spotify, or wherever you get your pods. Also on the companion blog piece, that's johnofalltrades.us. And hey, as long as you're on one of those platforms, I would love it if you gave me a rating, gave me a review, and hit that subscribe button. Brand new episodes will come directly to you. New episodes drop on Wednesdays. I preview them on Mondays. That's Facebook only. The handle is J-O-A-T-Pod. And in fact, J-O-A-T-Pod works for every social media platform. Twitter, Snapchat, Pinterest, and Instagram. John of All Trades Podcast is a production of Deft Communications. Check out Deft on the web, D-E-F-T-C-O-M dot U-S. This is the flagship show. I produce three others. So if you'd like me to produce you a podcast, get in touch with me, J-O-N at deftcom.us. Our sponsor is 4Degrees, the number 4, D-E-G-R-E dot E-S. And if you're doing online, 4Degrees can help you do it better. Building a website, social media marketing, online advertising, hell, even email campaigns, 4Degrees has you covered. It will get your message right and then get it in front of the people who need to hear it most. Number 4, D-E-G-R-E dot E-S. I'm out of here for this week. We're getting towards summer. I hope you're getting vaccinated. The sooner more of you get vaccinated, the sooner we can all get back to something approaching normal. I'm looking forward to it. I hope you are too. Take care of yourselves. Take care of each other. And until I hear you again, say goodnight, Gracie. That's good, Johnny.